0: Good morning, church. I am so thankful to be able to speak with all of you guys again for the second week in a row. For those of you that I haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I serve as our Chi Alpha director for college students in the Cedar Valley. So I get to pastor 18 to 22-year-olds, and it's the coolest job in the world. Amen and amen. Trust can be something that can be a little bit hard to earn sometimes. It can take years to fully build trust to someone, and you can lose it in just a moment. And marriage is a place where trust is a necessity if you want to have a healthy marriage, right? Speaking of marriage, I do want to honor something. My parents just celebrated 26 years of marriage. Can we give them a round of applause for that? So through 26 years of marriage, my dad had a lot of opportunities to build that trust. And I'm going to talk about moment when he lost that trust. But anyways, we were at an amusement park, and my dad badly wanted my mom to go on a roller coaster with him. However, my mom was terrified of roller coasters and would not go with him. Eventually, my dad like seeks out and finds this really small roller coaster. He points at it and says, Becky, will you please at least go on this one with me? He like pleaded her. He was like bawling. Like, I just want a friend. Please come with me. And he pleads and begs. He says, trust me, we'll be okay. It's a small roller coaster. So she eventually gives in and they go on this small coaster together. And they're going through the line, and my dad told me after service that there was trees, so you couldn't really see a whole lot while you're in line. And so they're they're not really focusing on just kind of going through. Then they get out of the trees and into the loading zone. And my mom starts to realize something. She realizes that the the roller coaster she agreed to go on was not the roller coaster she was in line for. They were not, in fact, in line for a small roller coaster, they were in line for that roller coaster. That roller coaster is 200-plus feet in the air, goes 70 miles an hour, and until 1994, it was the tallest roller coaster in the world. (laughs) My mom was mad. (laughs) She had trusted him. She trusted her husband of 26, not that many years at that time, to go outside of her comfort zone, and now she was stuck. And she rolled that roller coaster, and she's here today perfectly fine. So amen and amen. Amen. But when they got done, boy, was she mad. I remember I looked out and I was scared for my dad. She's like, I'm gonna kill you. And I, as a child, thought it was hilarious. Like, got you going on a roller coaster. My mom didn't find it very funny. She was, she was pretty mad. Thankfully though, I think over the last few years, my dad's got to regain some of that trust that he used up on that day to get her to go on that roller coaster. Trust is important, right? We need to be able to trust the people around us, especially when they try to push us out of our comfort zones. We want to trust that everything's going to be okay. And sometimes the people we love need to push us out of our comfort zones. We need to trust them. Because sometimes we need to push out of our comfort zone in order to accomplish more things, in order to grow as a human being. And we need someone to come and say, just please trust me, it'll work out. We can be a scared people. We like to stay in our comfort zones. We want to rely on research to make sure we're adequately prepared for whatever life throws at us. We want to do all the calculations to minimize risk and dependence. But sometimes there's just no time for this. Sometimes we need to go. We need to make a quick decision. It's now or never. For example, my mom, in line for the roller coaster with people behind her, she had a quick decision. Do I trust my husband and get on this roller coaster? or I just run away, never be seen again, leaving my friends and family forever, and now having to ride the roller coaster. That was it. Those are two extremes she had to choose between. No in-between. She had to be quick. She had to choose immediately. We want to be able to take our sweet time to do a quick like risk aversion analysis, right? But that's not always an option, especially in our lives with Jesus. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark this morning. Last week we learned about the time when Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth and how he was not actually met with fanfare as he returned home, but rather he was met with unbelief. Jesus' own hometown did not believe in him. They didn't trust him at all. They didn't have any faith in him as Messiah. And because of that, he did no mighty works there. However, Jesus did not want this to be the case. He wanted to move in power. Jesus wanted a group of people that would believe in him and have faith in him. So he gathered a group of friends that actually trusted him. These friends are the disciples. He would spend all their time together, and he would teach them, instruct them. He spent time in ministry building his trust with them. And now he wanted to use it. I imagine Jesus left Nazareth, his hometown, a little frustrated, right? He's like, I just wanted these people to believe in me, and he wanted to do things in power, but he couldn't because of their lack of faith. So I think he gathers the disciples and he's like, all right, it's time to go. Will you at least trust me? Will you have faith in me? I've given you years of my life. I've earned your trust. Please trust me. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. And he said, good, because I'm about to send you outside your comfort zone. He says, I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little bit hard. But please trust me, unlike my hometown in Nazareth. See, the people of Nazareth, their lack of faith is contrasted with the disciples' utmost faith in the passage we're going to read this morning. It says this in Mark 6, 7-13. through And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust. That is, on your feet is a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the powerful things you're already doing, God. We just lift up the one day to feed the world offering, Jesus. I pray that you'll just use the finances that come in, God, just to really change people's lives. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The main idea this morning is being sent starts with trust. Being sent starts with trust. There's a time growing up where my parents took Daniel and I, Daniel's my older brother who is the pastor here, he, th- our parents took us to a hotel. And in the middle of the night, we're just sleeping, and a fire alarm goes off, and the whole hotel goes wild. To give you some backstory, growing up, I had a huge fear of fire. And the reason for this is that I'm the youngest of five siblings, and my four older siblings are jerks. They thought it'd be funny to create, a vi- in a video game, they created a Derek character, And they burned him. <laughs> And I was like eight, and they thought it was hilarious. Just sit there and watch me cry about my video game person dying, and they thought they were hilarious. I was traumatized for years to come. I still don't like fire. I'll see and kind of like look at like give a side eye, like I'm not about to go near that bonfire. But anyways, childhood Derek and sometimes adult Derek is terrified of fire, and then he hears a fire alarm go off. See, I could have gotten up calmly, gathered my family together, my loved ones, and quickly exited the hotel together in order to make sure we were all safe. But no, I was out for number one. Me. So I jump out of bed shirtless, I do not grab a shirt, and I bolt out of the hotel, leaving my family behind. Every man for himself, I am not going to burn again. (laughs) I was especially knocking away from my older brother, not to name names, but a certain pastor of a certain church who would not get out of bed, just sat there snoring, I'm not getting out. I just kept sleeping, shaking him, please, we're going to die. He's like, nah, I'm good, I'm just sleeping. I wasn't going to wait for that. So I bolted. I wasn't going to risk burning for an older brother who didn't care, right? I needed to be quick. Time was of the essence. The alarm was going off. The mission of survival was too critical. And then I got to sit in a hotel lobby shirtless for like three hours as they fixed it. It was a really bad experience looking back. But anyways, (laughs) let's jump back to our story. Jesus gathers his disciples and he sends them out two by two to preach the gospel. He gives them authority and sends them out on mission to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. This is a huge moment in the history of the ministry of Jesus. No longer was he doing the work alone. He had people to do the work with. But as they're sent out, they're told not to take anything with them except a staff and to wear sandals. The reasoning behind this is Jesus is showing them that they need to go quickly. They don't have time to do a Walmart run and gather a bunch of supplies. No, they'd be expedient. There's no time to waste. The kingdom of God is breaking in and people need to repent of their sin. A huge moment was about to happen. He's pointing to the resurrection or the death and resurrection of himself. And then he gives many people into the kingdom of God as possible. So Jesus sends them out quickly with no time to gather supplies. And this moment actually harkens back to the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament with Moses. The items that Jesus allows his disciples to take with them on their journey of being sent out are the exact same items that Moses and the Israelites are allowed to take in their exodus, as we learn in Exodus chapter 12. Just remembering back, the exodus was a time when God's people, the Israelites, left Pharaoh, they left Egypt, they ran away from their captivity to try to get to the promised land. And there's no time to waste back in the exodus because they didn't want Pharaoh to change his mind, which he did change his mind, and start chasing after them. So this mission What Jesus is saying by using the same materials, he's saying it's just as urgent, it's just as important as the Exodus was. And for Jesus' people, which were the Jewish people, his disciples were all Jewish, the Exodus was like the most important moment in their family line's history. So he's saying this is not only an urgent event, this is an important event. He was showing that this is really, what's about to happen is going to be world changing. Jesus was showing that being sent to preach the gospel was critical and had to be done expediently, that there was no time to waste. And that message did not stop in the book of Mark, but it continues today. We must trust Jesus enough to be expedient. As we are being sent out by Jesus, which we are all sent out to our spheres of influence, as we are sent out to our families, our friends, our coworkers, we have to be expedient. Jesus has sent you to the people in your life to be a witness, and there's no time to waste. Because we never know when the last opportunity will be for us to talk to someone about God. Someone might quit your workplace, they might move away from your neighborhood, maybe they'll switch gyms, maybe they'll pass away. There's no telling how many opportunities we have left to share with people in our lives about Jesus, so we need to be expedient. I know for myself it can be easy to talk myself out of talking to people about Jesus, right? I can say, I'll do it next time, I need more time to build a relationship with them, I don't want to make them feel too uncomfortable, before we invite them to church, things like that, I can try to like, make excuses, but what Jesus is clearly showing us here is that there is no time for excuses. We cannot have a mindset that's always waiting for the next opportunity because the kingdom is coming and the time is now to be on mission. And this all takes trust. This takes us truly trusting Jesus at his word. That his mission is important. That time is coming quickly. We need to trust Jesus that we can, if we trust him we won't wait any longer because we trust him when he says now is the time. So we must trust Jesus enough to be expedient, to talk about him now with the people in our lives, not to wait until tomorrow, but to do it today. Because this could be our last opportunity to bring Jesus to someone in our lives, and we don't want to waste that opportunity. Looking back over my life, my biggest regrets all stem from not being expedient enough in sharing the kingdom of God with people. We've had a few people in our lives the past few years that have passed away, and most of them, to be honest, I'm not sure if they're spending eternity with Jesus. I never really brought it up because I thought there's always more time. They're pretty young, but then they passed away. And now I'm left with the regret of not being expedient. If I had been quicker and just had the guts to, in the, to trust Jesus and put myself out there, at least now I would know I tried. Or I look back to my time in college. And I remember all my classes. I would always push off bringing up Jesus because I thought, there's always next week. There's always next semester. There's always another opportunity to share Jesus with them. And now I've graduated and I don't see any of those classmates anymore, right? We've all moved away. And I pushed it off too long, and I'll probably never see them again. We must trust Jesus enough to be expediently on mission. And we must be willing to bring Jesus up quickly in our conversations. A few weeks ago, I was in my office and I hear a big crash come from my closet. And I open up the closet door to realize that the pole that hung my clothes on it had fallen and all my clothes had fallen off. My closet was broken. The little bar that was like connected to the wall was not connected anymore. So I need to reconnect it, which seems like an easy enough task, right? Just like two screws to get it back in. See, that would be easy for the average person, but not for me. Because I am, as you might say, mechanically challenged. (laughs) So at first, I'm like, okay, I can do this by myself. So I try to take the little bar and reconnect it to the wall, and it doesn't work. So then I tried to get a drill and, like, screw it in. That didn't work either. And it kept falling back out. I eventually got it in place for, like, two minutes, and then I put, like, one, clo- one shirt on it and it just fell off the wall. And now I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm like, i got to be able to do this. I'm a man. I can do this. Uh, and it keeps falling. So then I start getting angry, and I'm trying to get, like, the pole out of the closet so I can restart. And I'm, like, trying to get it out, and I'm busting up my wall. My wall's a huge dent in it, and it's all broken. The drywall's coming, cracking because of my anger. That I'm repenting, okay? I've sinned, too. All pastors anyways. So then I'm so frustrated, the pole's not coming out, I busted up the wall, things are breaking, and I get to the point of God has humbled me enough, I need to call my dad. So I call my dad and he tells me that what I'm doing is not working, I need to go to the store and I need to buy some anchors. So I go to the store and I realize, wait, I don't know what an anchor is. So I FaceTime him and say, tell me where to go, I'm in Menards. And so he told me where to go and I find the anchors, we buy it, So I go home, I try the first anchor I found. I bought like a value pack because I'm like, I know I'm going to screw this up. So I'm buying as many as possible. (laughs) The first one, I screwed it up and broke it. It didn't work. So I try the second one. It's not working. Again, I'm getting a little frustrated still. So I was like, I'm just going to drill some new holes. So I do that. And that makes the problem worse. Don't drill new holes. I just learned that or make the holes bigger. None of that worked. So then I was left with a messed up wall, multiple holes in the back of my closet for me trying to drill things in and anger inside of my heart. That's all that was left. Oh, and all my clothes were still on my floor because I didn't fix it. So I call my dad and he says, you know what? I'll come fix it next time I'm up there. He's like, you can rely on me, son. So he comes up. Oh, I was so annoyed. He fixed the problem in literally two minutes. It's, it didn't even take him. He didn't have to think about it. Like, oh, here it is. Boop, boop, done. Oh, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I prayed and agonized over this wall and nothing happened. See, because I wanted to depend on my own ability. I wanted to prove that I could do this, that I was handy, that my tools were sufficient, which they were insufficient. I wanted to depend on myself, and that did not work. Because what I needed to do is I needed to depend on my dad to do the job successfully. On my own, I made it worse. But when I depended on him, we were successful. This is why when we look back to our story of Jesus, he doesn't just tell them to be expedient, to not take a lot of stuff just for expediency. He also is telling them not to bring a lot of things with them, to be dependent on him. We read in Mark 6:10 and he said to them, "Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there." Now that's a bold move. Going to a random stranger's house knocking the door. They open the door, "Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus?" So, like, "Sure." Like, "Awesome, I'm going to move in. I'll be here for a couple of weeks. We'll talk about Jesus. I'll see you next week." Right? That's 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 one strategy. In our American society of independence, we would be blown away if someone did that, right? We never want to rely on anyone. Someone come in and say, I'm going to rely on you. You're going to feed me and house me for the next week. That seems radical. It was crazy in Jesus' time, but not as crazy because they had a more hospitable, dependent culture. But the reason Jesus has them do this is to show them that they need to not depend on themselves, but they need to depend on God when they're sent on mission. So they don't take a lot of supplies with them, and that's because Jesus is showing them, you don't need to depend on supplies. They don't get their housing set up because they're showing you don't need to depend on housing, but instead you need to depend on God to provide for you when you go on mission. They were not to trust in their material possessions. The disciples were to trust in God as they went about their lives. And another interesting fact is the disciples would have been untrained, unequipped, uneducated men for the most part. They were not the top recruits when you're trying to build an army for the kingdom of God. They wouldn't have been able to depend on their own talent or their own education when they were on a mission and when they had conversations with people because they didn't have any. So when they started following Jesus, they were not the most talented people. So not only did Jesus not let them bring material possessions, not only could they set themselves up a house, they didn't even have any talent. So Jesus is like, you need to fully depend on me. Jesus wants full dependence. He does not want trusting in supplies or talent. And that takes some trust, right? To depend on God, you have to trust him. We must trust Jesus enough to be dependent. The call that Jesus gave to his disciples is the same call he's giving to us and we're sent on mission. We need to depend on him. Too often we try to place our trust in our material possessions, our bank accounts, our investments, our own talent and ability, when Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, "Will you just trust me, not yourself. Specifically, when we go on mission with people, it can be easy. Like, I need to think of all the right words to say before I invite someone to church or before I have a relationship with them about Jesus. No, Jesus is saying, just trust me to start the conversation. I'll give you what to say. Jesus is asking us today, He's saying, You are sent to the world, right? We're all sent to the world. He's saying, Are you going to trust in me or in yourself? Jesus is asking us to not find security in our possessions. If you spend all day worrying about your investments, your savings account, finding value and satisfaction from materials, God's asking you to move your dependence from the earth, from earthly money and possessions, to depending on him. It says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So as we are sent into the world, Jesus is telling us we are to trust him above all else. The way to tell that we truly trust Jesus is clear through that passage we just read. Are you anxious? Do you worry a lot? If so, you might not be trusting Jesus, specifically if you struggle with being anxious about material things. Now, this is not an excuse from God to just sit on your couch all day watching Netflix and never work and then expect God to magically pay your bills. No, that's not what he's saying either, but he's saying if we work, if we do our part, we can trust Jesus with the rest. So if you work 40 hours a week and then spend 40 hours a week stressing about your investments, you might be overdoing it a little bit. It might be time to give God control. Specifically, as we're sent into the world. Because it's kind of a vulnerable state to be sent out to people, right? To be sent on mission. So Jesus is saying, as you're sent, I want you to depend on me. What Jesus says next, though, in Mark, is really interesting to me. Mark 6.11 says it this way. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So he's telling the people first that they need to be expedient. Then he's saying, be dependent. And now he's saying, when you go to a home and you try to depend on them, and if they don't receive you, just shake the dust. Basically, that means don't worry about it. Don't fret. Don't try to force my message down people's throats when you're sent. Just leave and go on to the next person. And Jesus didn't only preach this. He clearly practiced this in the passage we talked about last week when he didn't force his hometown of Nazareth to believe in him. When they had unbelief, he didn't like, do a bunch of signs and wonders to try to get them on his side. No, he just said, all right, you don't want to believe in me? That's fine. I'm going to leave you to your own devices. I think too often... We think we're called to like, fight on behalf of God, fight for people, fight for things. We think if someone says something that's not honoring to God on Facebook, it's my job to argue with them in the comment section. If someone posts something ungodly, I have to argue with them, right? Now, that does not seem to be what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus seemed to be teaching us that our job is to present the gospel, and if people don't want to hear it, okay, I love you. I'm here for you. If you change your mind, I'll still be here but I'm going to go find someone else who's willing to listen. Because Jesus says we're to look for people of peace when we are sent on mission. But this, again, takes trust. Trusting at Jesus enough with the people we're leaving and trusting Jesus enough with the people we're going to. We must trust Jesus enough to leave. Sometimes the best thing we can do for someone is to leave them alone for a bit, to stop trying to force people to try to listen to us, this is after we tell someone about Jesus, okay? This isn't like a, an excuse to someone give me an angry face. They look mad at me, so I'm not going to talk to them about Jesus because they clearly don't want me to. They're not a pre- person of peace. If they don't tell you, like, leave me alone, or if they don't like, tell you to re- they're rejecting you, you have to try, right? We need to at least bring up Jesus at least once or a couple times. But if someone's continually, that's where this comes from, continually rejecting you, continually saying, no, no, I'm not interested, no, I'm not interested. Jesus is saying we don't need to fret and worry about it. We need to go on to someone who is... Excited to hear about what God has for them. See, I think too often we think too highly of ourselves. We think that I'm their savior and I need to argue them into submission to God. I mean, that's not what Jesus needs from us. Jesus can do it all without us. We don't have the special sauce to get someone to the kingdom of God based off of our arguments or our own words. No, our job is to be humble, to present the truth. We do need to present the truth. That's the rest of this message: is we need to go present the truth. But then we need to depend on God to do the rest. And if they don't want to hear it, that's okay. We love them. But we don't fight with them. We are not called to be God's defender on social media. We're not called to argue with people at our workplaces about our political beliefs. God isn't asking us really to stand up for him. He can stand up for himself. He's God. He just wants us to love people and share the gospel with them. It's not our job to force hardened hearts to be soft. Too often when we meet hardened hearts, myself specifically, when I see them, like, it's my job to make sure you get soft. No, that's not my job. My job is to pray. Because unfortunately, we can't soften hard hearts. We can't change what's going on inside someone. But what we can do is pray to the Holy Spirit who can soften hard hearts. The Holy Spirit can do more with our prayers than it can do with our actions sometimes. It's not our job to force them. Our job is to present truth. And if someone rejects the truth of the gospel, we are to pray for them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to them. It's not our job to convict people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job to find someone in sin and say, you're a sinner and this is why you're going to hell. No, our job is to love people and present the truth and the goodness of King Jesus. So that angle makes sense about that story, right? Like shake the dust, don't force upon people. That's pretty clear from the scripture. But I want to take a different angle as well. I think too often when we read the scriptures, we place ourselves in the story as the protagonist. So in this story, we think we're the disciples. We're the ones being sent out. However, I want to flip it a little bit and think, what if we're not the disciples in the story? But what if we are the people the disciples are being sent to? So when people come to you and they present truth, when you're challenged by the Bible or maybe Pastor Daniel says something that you don't agree with or a trusted friend or spiritual leader challenges you, are you a person of peace? Or, when people come to you with the gospel or the good news of Jesus or something to grow in, are you someone they have to shake the dust at because we're too proud to listen? We have to ask ourselves, do I humbly accept correction and challenge? Or do I fight with people when they try to help me look more like Jesus? Because before we can expect people to be people of peace and to listen to us about how they should get closer to Jesus, we need to be the person of peace. We must be meek. I want to be someone that the disciples could come preach to, because the disciples carried to them the good news of Jesus. What the disciples, the news they were bringing was the best news in all of history. However, some people did not get to hear this message because they were too proud and they were unwilling to listen. The disciples just shook the dust off of them and went to the next house. When I get to the end of my days, I don't want to find out that people came to my doorstep with good news, that people came to me with things that could help me be closer to Jesus, but because I was a little too proud, I didn't get to hear them. I want to be a person of peace. I want to receive challenge and correction well because I want to be as much like Jesus as possible. So I challenge you to examine your heart. If the disciples came knocking at your door with the good news of Jesus in a way that we can look more like Jesus, how would you respond? How do we respond with, from correction? Have you trusted Jesus enough to give yourself an opportunity to grow closer to him or has pride gotten in the way of our potential growth? Like I said earlier, I'm the Chi Alpha director, meaning that's like our college ministry. And our Chi Alpha actually recently got approved to be a national Chi Alpha internship program here at UNI. And a part of this process of getting approved for this program is we had to have our national Chi Alpha training director come to Cedar Falls and evaluate our Chi Alpha. This guy's like one of the top dogs in Chi Alpha world, so to be honest, I was a little nervous. I'm like one of the high ups of my organization is coming to evaluate our group. And a part of this process is he had to interview three of our students. So this group of students was going to represent me. This group of 19 year olds was going to represent my life's work and everything I do to our national leadership. I'll be honest, I was a little scared. I'm like, okay, how's this gonna work out? So I pulled them aside and I'm like, don't you dare embarrass me, okay? <laughs> if you screw this up, I'll be really sad and cry. And then I pulled our interns aside as well. They weren't even there. I'm like, just don't embarrass me. I, just, I love you interns, but they tend to, anyways, let's keep going. <laughs> I love those three. You've got three men that love Jesus, and they're growing, so it's good. <laughs> These students are the representatives of KAI Alpha U and I to the national Chi Alpha. That was their main job in the interview: was to represent us, because I couldn't represent us because I'm not can't be a student's perspective, right? I don't understand what it's like to be a student KAI Alpha U and I because I'm not a student, so I had to send a representative to represent me and represent Chi Alpha. And at the end of our passage. We see that Jesus is doing a very similar thing to what I had to do with our students. Mark 6 says this, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. They were sent out to proclaim repentance, cast out demons, and heal people. It's kind of a random group of things, but actually those three things are the three most common things that Jesus did during his time in ministry. So by including those three things, Jesus is saying, I want you to be like me to the people you're going to. You are to be my representative as you're sent out. So just like those three students represented me, the disciples were to represent Jesus. And when we are sent out, we are called to represent Jesus as well. We are sent to be Jesus' representatives to the world. That's the whole reason we're doing this. Because Jesus trusts us enough to be his representative, As the rest of this talk, we've talked about how we're to trust Jesus. This is where Jesus is trusting us. Jesus is asking you to represent him to the rest of the world if you call Jesus Lord. That's founded in trust. Jesus has trusted the church, the people of God, with the most important message in history. That is a little scary, right? But Jesus knew that he couldn't, A, relate in the same way as a human, and Jesus also knew that he wouldn't be on the world forever. So he needed his people to be his messengers, and that's why he sends the disciples out to see how they did, to coach them up, and to show that he could trust them. Jesus has entrusted the greatest message in history with us. And now it is our job to take this message to the four corners of the earth. As Jesus sends us out, he's trusting us to represent him, which means we need to be like him. We must be like Jesus as we are sent. This peace is crucial for our mission if we want to be effective witnesses to the goodness of God, we need to be like God. We need to be like Jesus. Which means we can't do things like going around, cussing up a storm, living in a bunch of sin, and then talk about, oh yes, you should be like Jesus as I just cussed you out. We can't be full of rage and anger and spout off at people at work and then preach a message. Jesus has brought me so much peace, everybody. The presence of God is is dwelt inside of me and now I'm like floating on the peace of Jesus and then angry yell at people. That doesn't add up, correct? We can't say we believe in Jesus who teaches to die to self and to love our enemies and then be mean to the people around us and only look out for ourselves and only do things that are comfortable for us. We can't preach that Jesus is full of mercy and grace and by the grace of God I've been saved and then be full of bitterness and hold grudges against people. If we're going to preach grace, we need to live out grace we must practice what we preach as we are sent out. If we are going to tell people that Jesus came and set us free to pursue him, we must pursue him. If we don't live in the way that Jesus lived, if we don't pursue holiness, then our witness will be hurt. Because more is caught than taught. Meaning our actions carry a lot more significance than our words. You might be preaching Jesus to your coworkers with your mouth, but if you're not preaching Jesus to your coworkers with your actions in your life and living a life of servitude, then they're not going to hear what you're saying. If we preach Jesus but don't live like him, our message will lack any weight. Our lifestyles must demand explanation. If we live the exact same way as the world around us, but then preach that there's a God who came and changed my life, they're going to be like, that's not true because you're the exact same as I am. No, we must be different than the world around us if we want to have a witness. And the way we're different is by living like Jesus. Jesus is trusting us to represent him. And a part of that representative representation is to live like him. So we need to actually be Jesus to people, meaning we're full of grace and mercy and compassion, meaning we love people. We're not quick to anger, but we are quick to forgive. We preach repentance. We live a holy lifestyle. We treat the people around us the way that Jesus treats us because that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not judge people. Jesus did not condemn them. No, he loved them and presented a better way. So we are called not to judge and condemn people, but to say there is a better alternative. Jesus told them the truth of repentance and how if they live in the kingdom of God, their life will be better. But then he had mercy for them when they didn't quite live up to the expectations. And we are called to be like Jesus to our little worlds. And if we trust Jesus enough to be like him and trust that the way he lived is the best way to live, we will truly be sent out. And as we are sent out, we will help People come to know God and our efforts will not go in vain. What I don't want for us, church, is that our witness is ruined based on our lifestyles, right? Because I know our church loves Jesus. I know our church wants to represent Jesus to the world around us. But if we're not living like Jesus, then we're not going to have any weight to our message. They're not going to care what we have to say because we're living the same way they are. The main idea is being sent starts with trust. Trusting Jesus enough to obviously bring him up trusting Jesus enough to live the way that he lived, trusting Jesus enough to depend on him. We must trust Jesus if we want to be sent. So Jesus has sent us on a mission. But why? What is this message that God has asked us to preach? Well, the message that Jesus told his disciples to preach was the message of repentance, which means turning from sin. And the reason that we have an opportunity to repent is because of what Jesus did after he sent his disciples out. After Jesus sends his disciples out, Not that long afterwards, he goes and he dies on a cross, right? He dies on a cross and then rises from the grave three days later to defeat our sin, to create a way for us to repent, to make it possible for us to become right with God. That's the beautiful message that we preach, is that there's an opportunity for us to be right with God. So if you're here this morning, and if you haven't been following Jesus... Jesus is going to give you an opportunity to turn back to him because he's made it possible. So maybe instead of preaching the message of repentance, first Jesus is asking you to accept the message of repentance this morning. Or maybe you're here and if you're honest, you follow Jesus, but you haven't really been on mission. Maybe you haven't been expedient or dependent when you've been sent out. Maybe you keep making excuses like I have of I can just do it tomorrow, I can do it the next day. Or maybe you've struggled to be dependent upon God. You've been trying to use your own strength or your own finances to achieve like happiness or fulfillment, but God is saying, will you just depend on me? Maybe you've been going through the motions, living a normal life, making money, coming to church, but God's trying to shake you up a little bit this morning. God doesn't like us just doing the same old, same old every day. The time is now. There is no time to waste. The mission is too critical because people all around us are dying and going to hell. That should move us, right? There's people in your life that if they died right now, they would spend eternity apart from God. And maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to be the person to help change that destiny. Only you can be you to the people around you, right? Hear me, church. We love the church, we love Sunday morning, but it's not Sunday morning job to see your friends come to know Jesus. It's not Pastor Daniel's job to see your friends come to know Jesus. No, it is your job to see your friends come to know Jesus because they're your friends. We are the only people who are sent to our little pocket of influence. No one else is in the same sphere of influence that has the exact same relationships with people that you do. So maybe, just maybe, God is saying, will you be my representative to the people that I've placed around you in your life? Because God has not placed you where you are by accident. If you don't like your job, you use it as an opportunity to represent Jesus. If you struggle with your family, you don't get along with your family, maybe God's placed you there to be representative of Jesus. The people in your life are not there by accident, so let's represent Jesus to them in a way that only we can. Luckily for us, it's not too late to start living a life on mission. Luckily too, it's not too late to accept Jesus' invitation to be a sent people. We just need to start depending on him and accepting his call of being sent home. We are literally called sent church, right? We are founded on this idea of being sent to the one to our cities in the world. It's in our name, but is it in us? Is it really our DNA to be a sent people? Are we actually sent or is it just a cute name? Are we living a life that is sent out, a life that is expediently, independently sent for Jesus? We have a calling as a church. We say we're the sent church, meaning we're sent to the Cedar Valley, meaning we have a call to be sent to the people around us, to be a light to our communities and to present Jesus to them. That is our call. We are called to represent Jesus to our friends, to our families, our co-workers, our classmates, to our little worlds of influence. Jesus is pleading with us. He's saying, will you be my sent one? Will you go out two by two and reach the nations and live a life on mission? And in order to do this, it goes back to our main idea that we must trust. We have to trust, first of all, that the message God is telling us to preach is a good one. If we truly think that people coming to know Jesus can help their life get better, and we truly think that if they die without Jesus, they're going to spend eternity apart from him, if we truly trust that, then it would be illogical and, to be honest, mean of us to not present Jesus to people. Because we're holding back something that could change their life for the better. So the question is, It's not really like, am I charismatic enough to be sent? No, it's do I trust Jesus enough to be sent? That this message is a good one to preach. And if we do that, if we trust that his message is good, we can trust that he'll provide for us. We trust that he's worth it. We trust that it's okay, even if we're rejected, because our identity is not in what the world around us thinks of us, but it's what the God of the universe thinks of us. And if we trust that his opinion matters more to me than the world's opinion of us, if we truly trust Jesus that means we'll trust them enough to be sent. I have a practice for everyone this week. It's quite simple. Let's all talk to someone new about Jesus. That new part is very important. Don't just talk to your spouse if they already follow Jesus or your small group or your Christian friends about God. That's great. I love Christian community. But I think what God's asking of us is to be truly sent to someone who does not know Jesus yet, or someone who hasn't, who's not in the church, someone who doesn't follow him. Don't just make an easy way out for this practice, but go for the hard one, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't satisfied with just being with the religious people. Jesus spent all this time with the non-religious people, with the, the scum of the universe of his time. That's who Jesus spent his time, to, time with, and if we were to be like Jesus, that's who we're to spend our time with. So find someone who you can truly be sent to. And if we do this, if all of us are sent to little pockets of our lives in the Cedar Valley and across the state and the world, not only will we grow our trust of Jesus because he will come through, but we'll also be sent out as his ambassador to our city. And as we represent him to our city, the city will be turned upside down and we will truly be a sent church. I wanna give us a couple ways to respond this morning. If you're here this morning and you're honest with yourself, You haven't really accepted that message of repentance yet. And you want to repent and turn to God. I'm going to give us an opportunity to. So if we can get the lights and if we'll have everyone close your eyes and bow your heads, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you haven't been following Jesus, but you want to change that and you want to trust him to be your Lord, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a sign to God. So that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus and trust him as Lord. Raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you. We pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a God that provides a way of repentance for us, God, that we are not stuck in our own sin, that we're not stuck in our own apathy, God, but instead you present a way for us to be close to you, God, that you are the God of second and third and fourth and 400th chances. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The second way we're going to respond this morning is through the act of communion. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to remember what Jesus did on the cross thousand years ago. Through communion. at Scent Church, we partake in communion as a sign of unity amongst the global church. It's something that unites believers of every denomination, every nation. So we don't have membership requirements, like you don't have to attend Sent Church regularly to partake in communion. All we ask of you is if you're going to take communion, be a follower of Jesus. So if you need to first give your life to Jesus and then take communion, that's a great. You can do it right now. But we partake in communion as a sign of remembrance of what God has done for us and what Jesus did on the cross. We never want to forget the reason we're here. We're not just sent out to build a big church. That's not just about filling this room. We're sent out because we serve a God who gave his son to die for us. And we remember that we're only here because of the blood of Jesus. And finally, we partake in communion as a sign of repentance of our sins. We don't take sin lightly, right? We need to repent and turn to God. The message that the disciples preach is a message we need to hear. So this is an opportunity to repent of sin and give it to Jesus and run to his feet for forgiveness. So the ushers can come forward and pass out all the elements. We do have a gluten-free option. If if you need that, just ask them and they'll give you one. But what we're going to do is we're going to, as they're passing this out, we'll sing one last song together. And during this song, I want you to do two things. I want you to first... Have some remembrance in your heart. Remember the goodness of God. Remember your own sin repent of it. And that's half of it. But I also, while we're in this song, this song's called Lord Send Revival. Revival is just when a large group of people come to know Jesus. Revival is what we're praying for in the Cedar Valley. We want to see this community turn upside down for the kingdom of God. And so I want you to pray and ask God, where do I need to start this revival in my own life? Who do I need to bring Jesus to in my own sphere of influence? And I want you to pray and seek God and see who that person is that you need to bring Jesus to this week. So if you'll do those two things as we sing together. I'm gonna pray and then you guys can stand and we'll worship together. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for everything you've done, Jesus. We love you so much, amen. And if you all stand.